happy uh, 4th of July weekend to you all. Great to see you. Hope you're excited for the weekend ahead. And you here like 4th of July? I, I, I enjoy 4th of July a lot. It's a great weekend, I think. Uh, holiday for me, personally. I love it. It's, one of the, it's really the only big holiday in the summer, isn't it? It's nice to have a holiday that you have the day off of work, and there's actually things you can do outside on a big summer day, right? Lots of picnics and barbecues and parades and, of course, massive explosions, right? All you, pyroma- all you pyromaniacs, you love 4th of July because you save up your money all year, so you can just blow up your fortunes uh, tomorrow on the 4th of July. Northwest Indiana turns into a big demilitarized zone, especially my neighborhood. I don't know about yours, but it's a fitting way to celebrate, isn't it? The 4th of July is about celebrating freedom, and what a better way to celebrate freedom than uh, celebrate our freedom to blow things up. That's 4th of July. More specifically, you know, we know we're celebrating, though, our our nation, our society, uh, many good things about this country in which we live. Although our country is far from perfect, isn't it? It is very far from perfect. Still on the 4th of July, it is a time for us to pause and celebrate. You know, we've got it pretty good here in the United States. We can say what we want to say for the most part. We can generally do what we want to do, believe what we want to believe. Still, there are, of course, a ton of things that frustrate us. As we look at our nation, we look at our culture here. Um, It's not a perfect society, is it? There's all sorts of things that seem wrong, things that seem backwards in our country, things that are unhelpful that happened to us, that we've seen happening across our nation. For example, you know, some laws passed, or some executive orders issued, and you think, oh, this is just taking our country in the wrong direction, right? Or we all can look at our political leadership, who we know should all be working together for our common good. But more often than not, it just feels like there's gridlock and infighting. And sometimes those people who are elected to be public officials, public servants, they only seem to be servants for themselves. You know what I'm talking about? We also, of course, believe that our society here, it ought to reflect God's values, God's uh, morality, His character. But we see our society increasingly moving away from those things. The country was founded on Judeo-Christian moral values, and those values, though they're being slowly eroded and replaced with a sort of relativism and hedonism, basically says, you know, anything goes. Just you can, you should be able to do whatever you want as long as you're being true to yourself. And the traditional moral values of our certainty of our society here have been degrading into subjective clouds of kind of like a moral relativism. There are all sorts of the things in our society we can look at and just be critical and say this, this, all these things that just aren't right. All these things that are just backwards from how we think, want, believe our society to be, right? And we can, of course, look at our own personal lives as well and the things that happen in our own personal lives. We're like, oh, this is just not how my life should be. All kinds of backwards things happen in our own lives as well. Like when my kids... They do all kinds of backwards things all the time. Like when they decide to play beauty parlor. And so they gather together all their dolls and little plastic figures and such like that. And they get all the combs and brushes out. And they're going to play beauty parlor. And then they get a bottle, bottle of mommy's hand lotion. And they proceed to smear this lotion all over all their little toys and figures. And then I just have all these little toys that are just a greasy, slimy mess that all smell like mommy. That's like very unhelpful. That's not how the world of play is supposed to happen with my children, is it? Or on a more serious note, you know, you go to the doctor and you get prescribed a certain treatment plan because of this ailment you're facing, and then you discover later on and you're misdiagnosed for that. And that treatment plan was a poor choice. All sorts of things happen to us that just personally don't seem right. We at times face heartache and pain, sickness, disease, broken relationships, accidents happen. 
absolutely much to celebrate about the world and the nation that we live in. We're going to do that this weekend. We have much that frustrate us as well, things that we, that we mourn, that we regret, things that annoy us, things that drive us crazy, things that cause us real deep despair, things that we would change in a heartbeat as we look at our world and we realize this place is backwards from what it should be, from what we want it to be. So many, so many things we see that are contrary to what we know should happen or how society should be put together. And that is the central theme of our text in Ecclesiastes today, which is the entirety of chapter 10. 10. So we're going to cover all of chapter 10 today, and in it we're going to see, you know, some repeated themes from previous chapters. Remember that Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. It's not a book that is a very clearly progressively developed logical argument. It is not necessarily a very coherent narrative. Rather, it's a collection of interwoven thoughts about life and repeating themes. And so in chapter 10, the author is going to go ahead and revisit some things that he's spoken about before in the previous nine chapters. But this time, he's going to do it. He's going to revisit these themes with one primary overarching theme that connects us all. And the theme is in chapter 10 that our world is broken. It's often backwards from what we know, hope, believe it should be. We live in a world that is often upside down from God's design, and that is why this sermon is titled The The World Upside Down. That's the central theme of this chapter, that this world is broken, this world is backwards. And there is one, in chapter 10, one primary reason the author gets into in, in regards to why this is true. There's one central reason why this world is often backwards, according to the author here in chapter 10. And it's not because of sin. It's not because of God's judgment. It's because people are stupid. That's what he says. People are stupid, and so the world is backwards. People lack wisdom, and so things go backwards. Dumb people create a dumb world. That's chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Happy Fourth of July. Um, but first, just before I dig into it, a word about the structure here, it's essentially a collection of proverbs, and so little short wisdom sayings, they're just kind of all put together, kind of apparently seemingly, at least initially randomly, there's not a real coherent logical development of thought here, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to work through chapter 10 thematically rather than sequentially, verse by verse, pulling out the verses that all kind of relate to the same theme together, Okay. And as we do it, we're going to see the main theme. The world is backwards because people are stupid. That's basically chapter 10, okay? And uh, to be maybe a little bit more correct, because, you know, you might, oh, can he say stupid in church? Well, it's actually in the text, the actual word. I'll show you here in a second. But I'll be a little bit more politically correct here and say the, the main header here, the world is backwards because people lack wisdom, okay? The world is backwards because people lack wisdom. The, con- the contrast here between wisdom and folly begins really in the first few verses. So start looking with me at verse 2. Contrast between wisdom and folly we see here. Verse 2, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Now, it's political season here in the United States, but this is, we might look at verse 2 and think, oh, that's kind of a smart verse. But it's not a political verse. All you who maybe are more conservative, leaning in your politics, you might want to take verse 2 out of politics, or out of historical context, I should say, and, and look, wise people go to the right side of the aisle. 
and, and fools go to the left, right? You can read verse 2 that way. This is not intended to be that way. It's not a modern-day political statement. In the ancient world, the right side was basically the side of honor and distinction. And the left side was a place of lowliness and of vulnerability. And officials always placed their honored associates to their right. This is why Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand, we, we read in Scripture. And so... There's a dividing line introduced here in verse 2 between two groups of people, the wise and the foolish ones. And wisdom tends to lead people to places of honor and of prominence, while foolish people tend to go to places of dishonor and disregard. And the type of person that you are is apparently clear to everybody, because verse 3 says, even when the fool walks in the road, he lacks sense. And he says, or his life broadcasts to everybody, he says to everyone that he is a fool. Or the NIV translates this verse more abruptly, I think, in some ways, almost more correctly when it says, even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. Okay? Just straight out there, straightforward. Fools are stupid and everybody sees it. There's wise people and there's foolish ones. And it is the foolish people in this world that cause the world to go backwards in so many ways. The world is backwards because people lack wisdom. Or put it in another very abrupt, just direct way, the world's messed up because people are stupid fools. It's basically Ecclesiastes chapter 10. It's the strength in which he's kind of addressing these matters. And So after introducing this concept then between the wise and the fool and how much the fools cause problems in the world, he then provides there's five main themes I can dig out here of how the world in particular is backwards. Five main themes of how this world is backwards because people lack wisdom. The first is this. Things we believe to be honorable are often dishonorable. So things we believe to be honorable are often dishonorable. We see that starting in verse 5. We read that. They're set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking around on the ground like slaves. So here the author, now he's speaking of how some things are given great honor and some things are made low. And the thing that, in fact, there's a, it's not operating how it should. The thing that is receiving, should be receiving honor is not esteemed. And the thing that is, should not be receiving honor is esteemed. So he says, folly is set in the high places and the rich sit in the low places. So foolishness is exalted. And people who have been successful in life, been accomplished, presumably they're wise because they're rich, they get made low. And similarly, he speaks then of seeing slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So in biblical times, only the highly honored influential people rode around on horses, important officials, military leaders, wealthy individuals, and most everybody else, they just walked around on the ground, especially slaves. Because horses were expensive. Very few people were able to have a horse or to ride on a horse. And so you see here the backwards paradigm. The slaves are riding on the horses and prominent influential important folks are not. Just as foolishness gets great prominence, it would seem that true wisdom is also made low. Now, does this seem like the society we live in today? Where people and things that deserve honor are dishonored, and things that deserve honor instead receive it, do not deserve honor, instead receive it in abundance? Does that seem like our society today? Absolutely. You bet it is. Our society celebrates dumb things, doesn't it? Think about, think about the Oscars, for example, the Academy Awards. All this pomp and all this pageantry celebrating what? Celebrating people who can cry on demand. 
people who can reiterate lines of dialogue in convincing ways. Think of all the lavish praise and celebration that is just heaped upon these actors and actresses. Incredible honor is given to these people because somehow they can pretend really well. But where's the award ceremony to celebrate all the great social workers in our nation? People who care for the poor and the marginalized. People who help with broken families or care for destitute single mothers. Where's the award ceremony for them? Or or what about for foster parents who adopt kids out of very hard situations, often with very challenging behavioral issues? Who's more worthy of honor? Who's doing something that's more noble? What about groups in our society that seems to celebrate, seems to be more concerned about animals like Lassie than they're concerned about the care of children or even unborn children? There's groups that say it's okay to commit abortion, but it's not okay to leave your dog in the garage overnight. Is that not backwards? That some people exalt Fido over a person who's made in the image of God? Our society is backwards. It shows incredible honor to things that aren't that honorable, and it shows dishonor to things that deserve great honor. Things that we believe to be honorable are dishonored in our society. And why is this true in our society? It's because of foolishness. It's because people are dumb and because they're stupid. Because they lose sight of God's word, which guides us all in perfect wisdom in these matters. So this is one way that the world is backwards and upside down. Things we believe to be honorable are in fact dishonored. That's one way. Here's a second. Actions we believe to be helpful are often harmful. Actions we believe to be helpful are often harmful. See this now starting in verse 8. We read 8 through 11 here when we see this. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If a servant bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. So the author here, what he's doing is listing many different specific activities here. Digging a pit, breaking down a wall, quarrying stone, cutting up logs, working with iron tools, dealing with animals, particularly snakes. And these would have been very common activities in Solomon's day. Most people did some kind of manual labor of some sort. They dug holes, they built walls, they knocked their walls down, they carved out stone in order to construct buildings, they prepared wood for building, they did logging. All very common activities of the day. But each of these common activities, they bring a negative consequence. So the person who digs a hole, what does it say? He falls into it. The person who's doing demolition, he uncovers a snake nest and gets bitten by it. The person working with stone is hurt. The person who is splitting logs is endangered. These are normal, everyday, commonplace items. Actions, actions that are intended to be helpful, things that are being done maybe to earn a living or to provide for one's family or to better society, better our society, they're good actions, they're helpful actions. But people get injured and people get hurt by these good things. Actions we believe to be helpful are often harmful. Or to put it another way, accidents happen. This is a way in which our world is broken. Accidents happen. We've all fallen victim to accidents, right? things, you've been injured, whatever. I've had several of those. It happens all the time when I'm trying to do things around the house. I'm I'm fairly decent at being able to fix things up and repair things around the house, but my wife and I have a running joke that every time I try to complete a home project, I will invariably bleed in some way at some time. 
usually just small cuts in my hands or some kind of little abrasion, but I always find some way to bleed. It just always happens whenever I'm doing something, a little accident. I also have the dubious distinction of breaking bones in two of my children. I have three kids, and I've broken bones in two of them. So first time, I was swinging my oldest daughter kind of by her arms like this, and I guess I just got a little carried away, and I maybe swung her a little bit too much or a little bit too hard, and all of a sudden something didn't feel right, and she was sitting there crying uncontrollably. We had to rush her to the ER, and yes, sure enough, there was a minor fracture in her forearm. My fault, swinging her around. Or one year ago yesterday, on July 2nd, we decided, my family, to go downtown Chicago to go play at this Maggie Daly Park, this new pretty fantastic park that they build right outside Millennium Park in downtown. And I was with my four-year-old son at the time, and we decided to go down one of these double-wide slides, he on my right side, and, and we went down this big slide together side by side. Well, he was wearing a really grippy shoe, like a rubbery shoe, like a croc. He got stuck because of his grippiness on the slide. He kept going. His foot stayed in place. It then rolled underneath my thigh as I slid beside him, and we got to the bottom. He was crying uncontrollably, and I could feel a bump on his shin. And we rushed to Rush University, and there the x-ray concerned, yes, you've broken another bone in your child's leg this time. So I've been directly involved in breaking the bones of my oldest and youngest child. My middle child goes through her days with fear and trepidation, wondering when... I'm going to be responsible for her also having to wear a cast for six weeks. So accidents happen, don't they? Our world doesn't function as it should. It's backwards. It's upside down in so many ways. Actions we believe to be helpful, like playing, going down a slide, they are often harmful. And why is this true? Why do actions, accidents happen? Very often because of foolishness. Because people are dumb and stupid. Because people have lost sight of God's word, which guides us in perfect wisdom in these things. This is also what verse 15 means when it says this. Verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. So the toil of a fool wearies him. The work and efforts of a fool, they wear him out. He's wearied by it. Why? Specifically because he is a fool. He's not working very well. He's not working very smartly. He doesn't know how to follow simple directions. He doesn't even know how to get to the city. Foolishness wears him out. Foolish people struggle to do helpful actions. Being honest, we all take turns at being the fool, don't we? Sometimes we all do dumb stuff. And sometimes we suffer for it. Sometimes accidents happen and and we're the cause of it because we did something dumb. Sometimes accidents aren't always our fault. There are things that happen that we have no control over, but many times they are. And when those accidents sometimes happen, it's often because we're being stupid. I've got personal scars to prove it in my own body. I have casts from two of my children to prove it. But this is a second way the world is backwards and upside down. Accidents we believe, or actions we believe to be helpful are often harmful. It's the second way the world's backwards and broken. Here's a third. Words we believe to be important are often destructive. Words we believe to be important are often destructive. Now look at verse 12 and following. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. So the contrast now is between 
the wise and the foolish is very clear here in these three verses. The wise man is seen to have helpful words, fruitful words, productive words, favorable words. But the words of a fool are destructive. They consume him. They result in madness. They make no sense. They're incessant babble. They cause him pain. They cause him trouble. And we all know this to be true, right? There are words that are, that are spoken in wisdom, and there are words that are spoken in foolishness. Like men, when you say to your wife, you look absolutely beautiful today. Your hair is looking really great today. That outfit you're wearing is one of my personal favorites. Those are wise things to say to your wife. Right, men? Those are wise things to say, but there's foolish things you can say too, right? Like, you think maybe you've put on a little bit of weight. I wonder if it, perhaps it's time for a haircut. Oh, you don't look that old. Don't worry, I can only see, see your mustache in the sunlight. See? There's foolish things to say, aren't there? Now, what's interesting about the words of the fool and the words of the wise in this case is they're often both well-intentioned. You really are trying to help your wife by encouraging her that her mustache isn't really that noticeable. But your well-intentioned words can produce relational destruction of nuclear proportions. Right? I'm sure we can all tell stories when we said something that we thought would have been helpful, but it turned out to be anything but. Right, men? Absolutely. We're terrible at this. And undoubtedly, we've all said things we regret. Things that often sometimes also demonstrate a lack of self-control. Things that sometimes show a heart of impatience or malice or gossip when we just lash out, respond to something impulsively in a negative way. We all say things in a moment even. They sound like a good idea. But sometimes the moment after, after you say them, the words have hardly like escaped your mouth and they're still hanging in the air and you're like, oh, no. Why did I say that stupid, stupid thing? I should not have said that. Words that we believe in the second to be helpful are often destructive. Because the world doesn't function as it should. It's often backwards and upside down in so many ways, including ourselves and the things that we say. And these destructive words, why do they happen? Oh, very often because of foolishness. Because people are dumb. Because they're stupid. We lose sight of God's word, which gives us perfect wisdom in how to navigate these things. Words that we believe to be important are often destructive. That's a third aspect of this broken and backwards world. Here's a fourth one. Authorities we believe to be blessings are often curses. Authorities, people in charge, we believe to be blessings, they are often curses. Now, it's a presidential year in American politics, of course. And much of the news today is election-focused. Who's up in what poll? Speculation about what kind of person so-and-so is going to be if they're elected into office as a president or a senator or representative, whatever. And all the pundits, they're on TV, they're arguing and debating about who's going to be better for America. And most of us would probably agree that this presidential election cycle in particular has been like no other that we've seen. The back and forth between the major candidates with the name-calling, slandering each other's character, making misleading, unfair statements is... To me, at least, it's aggravating. It's discouraging. It is so unprecedented in so many ways. Yet, yet, you look out in the voters, the electorate are incredibly engaged. Why, despite all the vitriol, why do thousands and thousands of people go to political rallies? Why do countless, countless people spend and commit their time to hit the streets or to work the phone banks in support of a major candidate? They do it because people often place a lot of faith and a lot of hope in their elected government officials. 
because we all know that this world is broken and we hope by electing certain people in office they're going to be able to fix some of those broken things. But Ecclesiastes would say, be careful. Government officials are not all great. Sometimes you do have officials that are great blessings, but often we have very bad officials who lead very poorly and very foolishly. We see this in verse 16 and 17. The passage says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So there's a proverbial contrast here. There is a land which is cursed. Woe to you, O land. And there is a land that is blessed. Happy are you, O land. So there's a country or a land that is blessed, one that is cursed. And the difference between these two lands, it comes down to their leadership. The cursed land has people in leadership who are like children. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. So nations suffer when they have childlike leadership because those leaders are reckless and they are unwise and they don't do things at the proper time or in the proper way. They have their big feasts in the morning, the text says, which is backwards. You should have your big feast after you've earned it in the evening. You shouldn't start your day just rushing to get drunk. The feast comes after genuine accomplishment, not as the first part of the day. Some leaders are just foolish. But the blessed land has people in leadership who are noble and who are wise. Happier you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility. These leaders engage in the proper activities at the proper time. They do things for the right reasons. They do things for the betterment and the strength of the nation, not just their own selfish hedonism and pleasures. They don't just start their day with a big feast. They start their day going to work. And then they end their day with a proper celebration, all for the betterment and the strength of the nation. So good leadership produces a blessed land. Poor leadership produces a cursed, struggling one. But here's the thing. Often leadership we think is going to be good turns out to be bad. Anybody here ever been discouraged, disappointed by an elected official? Somebody who promised one thing and did another? Somebody who presented a persona of integrity and character only to be indicted on federal charges and sent to prison? Somebody who presented themselves as being a transformative leader only to be a destructive leader. Have you ever known, can you think of any government officials like this? I think we all can. And verse 4 acknowledges there are going to be bad people who step into governmental leadership. When it says in verse 4, if the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. If the anger of a ruler rises against you, sometimes we find ourselves under bad leaders who are rising up against us. And why does this happen? Because the world is broken. Authorities that we believe now to be blessings often become curses. The world doesn't function as it should. It's backwards and upside down in so many ways, and authorities we believe to be blessings are often very harmful to our society. And why are some authorities, why do they become harmful? Very often because of foolishness. Because people are dumb and stupid. Because they lose sight of God's word, which is the perfect, guides us in perfect wisdom on these matters. So some authorities we believe to be blessings become curses. That's a fourth aspect of how this world is backwards and broken. Here's a fifth one. Thoughts we believe to be private are often public. Thoughts we believe to be private are often public. Now, have you ever had a thought in your mind that you just kind of quietly uttered to somebody in confidence that then became a public matter? And all of a sudden, you're in the midst of controversy because you shared your view quietly just to a person or two, but word leaks out. And what was meant for private has now become very public. And you know what I'm talking about here, right? God discovered personally, for example, I need to be very careful when I tell one child 
what the other child is getting for their birthday. Because almost without fail, if one child knows what the other kid is getting for their birthday, they all end up knowing, right? Word leaks out. People talk, and this happens a lot in life. The last verse in this chapter addresses this very thing when it says in verse 20, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell of the matter. Basically, the author says, be careful. Private matters and thoughts have a way of becoming public. Somebody's going to fly off and tell other people. Somebody else will be what verse 20 says here. They're going to be the bird of the air that will carry your voice. So be mindful of that. Don't be reckless in what you say because it could very well get out. So let's take an illustration from modern politics again. It's a political weekend, 4th of July. So have you heard about Hillary's email problems, perhaps? Or about some of the womanizing, chauvinistic comments that Donald Trump has said over the years? Things and situations that were intended by these people to remain private, but were got out, and their thoughts or their actions have become public. And in both cases, with both candidates, their candidacies have had struggled because of controversy around these private things that have become public. Things that they intended to be secret. They have a way of getting out, don't they? Now, sometimes it's good when things get out in the open, right? It keeps people honest. It helps us have clarity on certain matters. But the world is broken and backwards. And sometimes things that we want to, intend to be private, become public. Because the world doesn't function as it should. It's backwards and upside down in so many ways. And why does this happen? Often, very often, because of foolishness. Because people are dumb and stupid. Because they lose sight of God's word, which guides us in perfect wisdom in how to conduct ourselves in these ways. So here in summary then, work through most of the passage. Here in summary, the main points of it. The main point, the world is backwards because people lack wisdom. And you see five different ways that's the case. Things we believe to be honorable are often dishonored. Actions we believe to be helpful are often harmful. Words we believe to be important are often destructive. Authorities we believe to be blessings are often curses. Thoughts we believe to be, in pri- believe to be private are often public. Now, does this sound like the world we live in? This rings pretty true to life, doesn't it? That's precisely the world we live in. We long for a different world, don't we? We long for a world that doesn't have this brokenness to it. Where our actions, words, authorities, our thoughts, they all function how we intend them to. And for those of us who trust in Christ, by God's grace, a new world is coming. We know this, that this, this backwards world in which we live, someday it will be fixed for Christ will return and he will make this world new again. And at that point, the utter foolishness of this world will be completely done away with and God's people will dwell in a place filled with perfect wisdom. Because the ultimate source of wisdom, God himself, will be undeniably clear to everybody. And we will all be guided perfectly by his own unquestionable wisdom. We long for that day. That day is not here yet. For now, we live and persevere through this backwards broken, foolish, upside-down world. We're stuck here. So how do we persevere through this? Is there anything practical in chapter 10 about how we can endure this backwards world? Well, indeed, there is. Most of this chapter, it is written kind of from the negative stance, just kind of critiquing and saying how this world is backwards. But there are a few positive encouragements and applications that are kind of peppered throughout chapter 10. So let me highlight those now, really under this heading. How do we keep things right in a topsy-turvy world? This world is backwards and broken. People are foolish, lack wisdom. 
how do we keep things right? Let's keep things right in a topsy-turvy world. And really there's four things that we can do here present in this passage that will minimize the consequences we have of living in this backwards world. So four things. Hopefully make this place better for you, better for everybody if we did these things. Okay? First, apply wisdom to your actions and speech. Apply wisdom to your actions and speech. Now this seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? very obvious application. All throughout the chapter, we're told of the consequences of folly, and thus we're exhorted to pursue the virtue of wisdom. And wisdom is pictured here as many times as being very helpful. End of verse 10. The end of verse 10. Wisdom helps one to succeed. Or verse 12. The words of the wise man's mouth win him favor. Wisdom is necessary to navigate this life well. And conversely, just throw in a little bit of foolishness, just have a little bit of foolishness about you and gets everything out of whack. And verse 1 addresses this, all the way up to verse 1 now. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. It's a little bit of a gross illustration. You have a picture here of dead flies that have, uh, are floating in a vat of a, a very fine, expensive perfume. The author's point here is you see a couple of vo- flies floating in that vat. It just kind of ruins that whole thing. Just like, you know, you get a nice plate of pasta and you find a, one little hair in there jacks up the whole meal for you, doesn't it? Like that. Okay, it's kind of a gross illustration. It could be great perfume. You just see a couple flies in there. The whole thing's tainted. And that's the case with folly. Just a little folly outweighs a lot of wisdom and honor, the text says. So apply wisdom constantly in your actions and speech. If you get lazy for just a moment, if you get foolish for just a moment, what seems to be going right for you will suddenly go backwards. Isn't it amazing how just one foolish comment, just one foolish action can cause just a world of hurt? Like when you're navigating traffic. You're trying to drive wisely and smartly and all of a sudden you just make that one stupid move. Wham! Accident. You're in the world of hurt, right? Or just that one social media posting that's put up with haste and frustration. It's out there. What happens? pain. Or there's been times I've been on a great family vacation, my extended family, and we're coming towards the end of the trip, and then somebody just does something dumb. They say something terribly insensitive, have a bad attitude for just a little bit, and what does it do? It like taints the entire trip. No one remembers all the fun we've had, all the good connections we've had. Now we're just, this one foolish thing has kind of ruined the entire trip. You know what I'm talking about? Had that experience? A little folly goes a long way. So pursue wisdom. And where is wisdom found? It's found most prominently here in this book. We lived in a messed up world, but wisdom is, the wisdom that is found here is immensely helpful in helping us to navigate all the challenges of life. Be quick to turn to it. Be disciplined to put everything through a biblical filter. Do that and it will go well for you. Be diligent in wisdom's pursuits which means being a diligent student of this book. So is God's word something that you instinctively and quickly turn to? When you face a challenge, do you first look to the pages of this book for wisdom? Is it something that you deeply depend on as you navigate the challenges of life in this broken world? It ought to be. This is an upside-down world. And being a student and implementer of this book can really help you get it right side up again for yourself. So be diligent in seeking the wisdom here of God's word. Apply wisdom. Pursue wisdom. That's the first application. 
the author would have us do to help navigate this backwards world. The second is this, be diligent. Just be diligent in life. See that in verse 18. It's one verse I've skipped, coming back to it. Verse 18. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. So the imagery here is of a house in decay. It's what happens when a and what happens when a homeowner isn't diligent in keeping up their house? Well, it eventually starts to fall apart, right? The roofs start to cave in, it develops a water leak, eventually the entire home starts to just degrade and deteriorate. And if you want to see examples of this, just head 10 miles or so north into the city of Gary, where there are thousands and thousands of abandoned buildings. They're all decaying, they're all falling apart because no one has been diligent to maintain them. And that's what happens in this world. If you're not diligent and working hard and applying wisdom to your life, things are going to decay. They're going to fall apart. The default setting of this world is foolishness and backwardsness. And if you want to fight against that, you have to remain diligent. See, the fool is lazy, but the wise works hard. Working hard, making things right according to wisdom. That's one way we keep things right in this broken world. The second way, here's a third. Demonstrate patience amid adversity. Have patience amid adversity. This is in verse 4 now again. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. See that? The world brings opposition to us all the time. It's broken. It just happens. Things happen. Accidents happen. People offend us. And what do we do in those times? The author here exhorts us to be calm, to have patience, to ride it out, to not get riled up. So when someone comes against you, be patient. When something happens that makes your life difficult, be calm. Be patient with the brokenness of this world, persevering, long-suffering, which is, of course, now that's easier said than done, isn't it? It is critical, though, that we develop a disciplined calmness to us. Otherwise, what will happen is this broken world will tempt us to do foolish things. It'll tempt us to fly off the handle, to just do something impulsive that's totally stupid. One of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is self-control. And if there's a constant theme about fools, it's that they lack self-control. They often say and do things impulsively. They react from their emotions. They don't have their actions tempered by careful, thoughtful wisdom. And how much smoother and easier would life be if we were all calm and patient and showed self-control, especially when things didn't go our way and we're under adversity feeling the effects of a broken world. You want a right-side-up life? One of the best ways to achieve that is to cultivate a discipline of self-control and patience. And those aspects of the fruit of the Spirit go a long way in preventing the backward situations from happening in your life. Okay? So cultivate a spirit of calmness and patience. It's a great way to smooth over the backwards frustrations in this world. And a final application now is found in verse 19. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. How's that for a text? Bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Now, Pastor Steve preached on chapter 12, just, or chapter 9 just last week, and he had a very similar passage there, which basically was saying, enjoy life. 
This is the thrust of some of chapter 9. It's the thrust here of verse 19 in chapter 10. Enjoy life. Your food is made for your satisfaction and joy. Your drink is there to make your, you happy. Your money is here to help you have your needs met and, and, and have some s- happiness and joy and success in life. Or summarize it this way. Delight in the good blessings that you receive. Delight in the good blessings that you have. Although this world is backwards there, and there's all kinds of dumb people who mess it up, the author doesn't want you to forget, hey, hey, the world is broken, but you know what? You still have all sorts of blessings that should give you joy. Enjoy those. Savor those. Yes, the world is not how you want it to be, but there are good things in it. So find those things. Delight in them. That's the final application you see here. How often we just get our noses all bent out of shape, just being all critical here we are, 4th of July, we want to celebrate our nation, but we can just spend so much time just being critical about oh, all of these problems in our country rather than just thinking about it. Look at all the good things that we have. Let's celebrate those things. Savor the good things in life is what verse 19 calls us to do. Of course, it does come with an important caution. Some might read this and think, so I guess I should just eat and drink whatever I want. I guess I should just spend my money on whatever I want. Just live however I want. That can read verse 19, pull it out of context, and conclude that. But remember the context in which verse 19 is found, the context of all of chapter 10. It's a call to wisdom. And so is it wise to eat yourself into a sick, bloated mess, which will probably happen to some of us tomorrow, Fourth of July picnics? Is it wise to drink strong drink until you lose self-control? In common sense, is it wise to spend money frivolously without care? Of course not. Be wise in this backwards world. Yes, enjoy all the good things in it, but always do so according to wisdom. You see, the fool indulges in the good blessings of this world without temperance. The fool just pursues all of these good things without any care or concern about the consequences of it. And the result is so often things go backwards for him because of that. As an accident, his relationships break down. He's bankrupt. There's so many things that happen if the fool just pursues the good things of life without wisdom. But the wise enjoy all things in careful, discerning moderation. And in that we find life. We find maximum joy. So savor and enjoy those things. Don't just be a negative cranky pants. Enjoy all the blessings that God gives us, but do it in discerning, careful, wise moderation. Of course, some of the greatest things we can savor in life are... They're not just the simple blessings of food and drink and money that are described here. There's less tangible things. A good friendship, a joyful marriage, personal accomplishment, God-honoring children, the beauty of a sunset. Of course, the blessings that are found, too, in Christ himself. And being one of his children, delighting in being part of his chosen community, which is the church, and most specifically to us in light of this passage, assurance that someday... Christ himself will rescue us from this backwards and broken world in which we live. And he'll create for us a new home that is crafted around perfect and failing wisdom. And that precious truth gives us hope and gives us joy as we navigate through this messed up backwards world that's full of all sorts of stupidity. Including our own stupidity, by the way. We all play the fool at times, don't we? What a blessing it is that we have access to a guide of perfect and failing wisdom here. So let's be pursue that 
let's be diligent and work hard. Let's delight in the good things that God is a, has for us and also maintain that spirit of calmness and patience and self-control whenever things get backwards, realizing that God has promised a good future for us and he will bring us to that. And what blessings we have. Let's make sure we delight and utilize them and do our best in that to live rightly in this upside-down, topsy-turvy Live according to wisdom, and you will find great, abundant, maximum joy for yourself. You will bless others and ultimately give God great glory as well. So that, friends, is the exhortation behind Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We'll be carry it with us into our Fourth of July celebration now over the coming days of these perspectives of wisdom. Enjoy your fireworks, just don't shoot them in somebody's face. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Let me close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we come and we are so grateful and blessed by all your many blessings to us. As much as and easy it is for us to be critical and cranky about all the things in the world that aren't right, Lord, we have to see and realize there are so many good things that you've given us. So help us delight in those and appreciate those and celebrate them. But also then help us, fill us with wisdom that we would navigate through the challenging aspects of life well. That we would seek your wisdom first and have the self-control and discipline to be patient and to make the wise choices and to have moderate, temperate lives. Lives that do not have foolishness, but lives that honor you because they're just smart according to your standards. So give us that help, we pray, by your spirit and through your word that we would live lives for maximum joy, but also for your maximum glory and the maximum blessing to others around us. And we pray this, pray this all in the name of our Savior Jesus.